don't know if you want to get into that now. The audio for our podcast oh, that we did. Jump right into the negative, huh? Let's just jump. Let's just get it. Let's go for it. Well, that. Why don't we? Why are we starting with that? Why don't we start with um, overall the event? Like, unfortunately, you couldn't talk, so it made everything awkward for you. It was. It was really tough for me. Um, I went to one of your sessions, and uh, it was a little rough, but. It was good. I mean, your content was good, and I could hear you enough. But you were basically uh, well. I'm I'm glad you said my content was good because I I actually trimmed so much out of that presentation. I mean, I basically just I I skipped all any kind of exposition or storytelling I was going to do to try to bring the topic and make it more interesting, and just kind of jumped into you know the points I wanted to cover. And if it seemed like I was jumping around, it's because I was. I was basically cutting a lot of talking out. And getting to the points that I wanted to get to, mainly just because my voice was not going to last much longer than it did. Uh, it's tough being in Austin with a losing your voice because um, there's no sympathy in that town. <laughs> Everyone assumes because it's such a party town that I just went out and was partying all night and lost my voice, oh, yeah. and that was kind of like a running joke with with a bunch of people. That was like the first thing someone would say when I say I lost my voice. So they'd be like, "Oh, they'd be like, oh, I'm recovering too, or something," and I'm like. I'm like, I wasn't partying. Right. <laughs> I, I I got sick and lost my voice. And um, so, yeah, yeah I, was, I, was, uh, I was feeling like like people were looking at me like I was irresponsible. You probably could have been in worse cities, but uh, yeah. For that kind of reaction? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> well, the, the, other, the other nice thing is that uh, tea and honey was, was plentiful in that town as well. So... <laughs> I certainly try to put a dent in the tea market there. Yeah. So you went. So you went to the the meetup on was that that was Thursday night that we did right mm-hmm. at the uh, Eureka. Yeah. The the good day. And then, it was um, a good turnout. We had I think we had at least twenty upwards of twenty people there. So good good showing. And then I forced you to come to dinner Friday night. You did. It was good food. It was, it was nice. It was it a was great good. celebration of your birthday. And but then uh, Saturday you opted to stay home, and I don't blame you, just because. Well, because even that night, I, I was just realizing I couldn't really socialize. I was kind of sitting there just kind of nodding my head or pulling out my phone and trying to like show things to people just to try to be part of the conversation. But it was it was really hard for me to have just kind of enjoy being in that social environment because I can't talk. Yeah. And so I, I just I wasn't sure how it was going to work going from brewery and I wasn't going to drink anyways because my throat. And so I was just like, I don't I'm, Yeah, I probably should just sleep and recover. Right. But anyway, it was fun. Saturday was good. Uh, we mm-hmm. went to a bunch of different breweries. Started out with Jester King, which is an awesome brewery out, yeah. out in the, I don't know, in the hills of whatever that area is west of Austin. Hill Country, I guess. They're not Fredericksburg, are they? They're not that far. It's like maybe halfway. But that was really cool. And then we uh, just proceeded to do several of the breweries, and it was a lot of fun. We ended up at, I think we ended up at Oscar Blues playing Jenga, which kind of got out of control, but... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and the cupcakes. Fun. I missed the cupcakes. Yeah, Someone, you did. You I, missed I, cupcakes. When I heard cupcakes, I was thinking just like normal, you know, you know, cupcakes you get at home. But man, those things look incredible. And I wanted to cry a little when I saw that picture. I was like, I missed out on so much. Yeah, you did. They were good. And those were um, from this place called, I think it's called Sweet Mamas or something like that. And it's, it's in Austin, south, like south of downtown. A little hole in the wall, but they, um, they're like award-winning. They, they won the, um, what's the Food Network? Uh, uh, sweet eats or something. They have so many cake, comp- like a cake, competition shows. Cake, uh, cake boss, or I don't know what it was. One of those, and they won it like a couple of years ago. Anyway, yeah, it was good. 
All right. Well, so since you brought it up, the we have some slight bad news, which is so we you know, did a little bit of it. Well, it ended up being, I think, a forty-six minute um, recording at our meetup, which I think had some some just fun and funny stuff, but some actually good content. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, the Zoom recorder that I was using uh, decided to lock up at thirteen minutes in, and I didn't know because because it was locked up. All like all the like the red recording lights. So there's there's an overall like record red light, and then there's um I was recording two channels, so there were t- you know, those two red lights were on, and they just stayed on. Um, the actual LCD I couldn't even see because it was too dark. So I I probably if it was lighter I could have seen that it wasn't counting up anymore. Mm-hmm. But it just looked like everything was fine. And the first clue to that was when we were when I was done recording, you and I were looking at it. And I was like, hey, I can't get this to stop. It won't stop recording. Right. Ended up having to just reboot it. And when I rebooted it, it was um. There was a there was a file there that first time I rebooted it and it played. But then every other time I rebooted that thing, or like I think it was I'd, it was later that night, I was gonna try to, you know, put it edit it and get it posted. And I turned the machine on and it says there this thing has no files anywhere on it. And I tried, you know, at least 20 times rebooting that thing and and like messing with a card. It's got an SA, uh, what do they call it? SD card? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No files. So that, well, I'll wait till I get home and I'll plug it into a computer. Well, I did that, plugged into my computer, and um, there's files there. Unfortunately, the, the, the file of our recording was 13 minutes long and it stopped recording at the, you know, at the point at which that machine locked up. Mm. So it's basically, that, and that 13 minute was you know, not enough. It, that was not even a third of it, I think. So yeah, I just. That sucks. Yeah. I think that's our first, you know, lost episode, right? Yeah. And had you posted it, it would have been the first episode that I was not on. <laughs> that's true. Maybe it just wasn't meant to be. I, we need to, we need to figure cursed. out. An episode has to have my voice on it or it's cursed and it doesn't, it doesn't air. We need to figure out if there's something wrong with the card or something wrong with the machine. I mean, the fact that I was able to take the card and put it in my computer and the computer read it just fine makes me think that it may be the reader on that machine, which really sucks because that's an expensive re- uh, recorder. And we've used it, what, like twice? Yeah. So each time we've used it, it's cost us, you know, what, $300 if you amortize it a- a- across uses? <laughs> yeah. It probably would have been, re- been better off just whipping out my computer and recording directly on it. Pro- oh, yeah. I mean, well, obviously, since we lost the yeah. episode. <laughs> anyway, so that one's not happening. But and, yeah. and we've also gone two weeks now without a recording. So that's uh, that broke our... We've been on a pretty good run here. Yeah, that broke the streak, didn't it? When's the last time we missed a week? It's been a while. Since last year? And we'll probably miss a week in June because I'll be, unless you find find a, a co-host to fill my spot, I'll be in, at Disney. Yeah, that's an option. I don't know. That might be kind of weird. Be like you're cheating on me? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Overall, uh, what did you think of the event uh, Just uh, from a content and execution and everything, a Texas Dreaming event? Uh, I was a little nervous about leading up to it because communication was kind of odd and the website wasn't all that great. But um, once I got there, I mean, things seemed to be going pretty well. I mean, there was a little bit of hiccup with the scanning of the badges, which they they addressed pretty quickly. And uh, luckily, I was one of the first ones to test it and get a bad result out of the scanning. You broke it. and Yeah. And since I was there to help set up booths, I was there before a lot of people. So yeah, is there something wrong with my mic technique? Nope. Oh, <laughs> you're looking at me. Uh, yeah, so I was able to kind of see that and report it. And so that, you know, before anyone else showed up, they were able to kind of get ahead of that. So that worked out really well. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, the area was nice. The hotel was nice. The yeah, Driscoll's a nice hotel. Yeah, it's really nice. One of the best restaurants in the city, I'm told. It was good, yeah. We had dinner there, what, um, Thursday night? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was very good. I, I couldn't eat that. In fact, I ended up splitting a, a an entree with someone else because I'd eaten enough over at Eureka that I was like, yeah, I'm not even really... <laughs> I mean, I could have not eaten the rest of the night after that. Yeah. But... Yeah, so I... <clears throat> I don't know. Were there, were there any kind of standout sessions besides mine that you th- that you kind of went to, or is there a session that you went to that you just kind of thought, "Oh, no. this isn't what I thought it was." So let me just say overall with session. So and and I'll just generalize. I don't really want to name any names, but um, so day one was, uh, and I know that then there were, I'm told, good sessions day one. So again, I won't name names, so no one knows who I'm talking about. But I went to two sessions on Thursday, and they were both pretty horrible. Mm. Um. They either weren't what they said they were, or it was the speaker had so little credibility, had no business doing a talk on the subject that it should not have happened. Um, just something you just walk out of. It's just it was just mm, it was that's bad. unfortunate. Yeah. So you think it was just kind of nerves, or you just think the content no, wasn't prepared no, well it, enough? No, or? no, it was. Um, and they were and. It, for different reasons. The one of one of them was that the speaker was simply was not qualified to speak on this topic. And I don't think they even knew they weren't qualified. Mm. It's one of those things. And then the other talk was just not what it said it was. And they should have been, they should have given it a different title and description. When you come in and say, hey, I'm gonna talk about this certain technology, and you dance around it, but don't really talk about it the entire you end up talking more about your life history and different things, mm. um, then, you know, just change it to be something else. Like, yeah, that's tough with a presentation because it, it, was it was it like a 15 or 45 minute? I think these were both 45 minute. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I, I know when I first started preparing my presentations and I was trying to bring a story element into it to kind of try to keep it interesting, I found myself doing a lot of that. You know, I found my first draft to be kind of way too about me and less about the topic. And so I, I trimmed all that and started, you know, kind of, I refactored my presentation. We'll, we'll do that since <laughs> we'll say that. But um, yeah, I think I think maybe that has a lot to do with not practicing enough, maybe not um, going through the motions and, and going through and, and being willing to cut stuff out of your presentation because I found that I was kind of doing that as well when I first started writing my presentation. Yeah. But uh, Friday, which was the second day, um, for me anyway, the sessions were much better. Um, some standouts. I um I went to Roger Mitchell's second talk. It was on uh he did two talks, right? Uh, this was this was the one he did on React and mm-hmm. in, in Salesforce and everything. And it was really good. I mean, you know, it's it's so hard to cram uh, you know, you want you want to you want to get as much content in your talk as possible. Right. I think this maybe goes to what you were just talking about with just kind of keep refactoring and and you don't have much time. You really don't know how long things are going to take because when you're up in front of the crowd, you might get be you might get feedback that slows you down. You know, you might have a little bit more nerves that to change your your pace, could slow you down, could speed you up depending on what, you know, what your personality is or how you handle these things. Um so so I noticed, I mean, I think I think on all the talks, um or most of them that I went to, people end up running out of time. Mm. I think I think and Roger had run out of time, but uh, he crammed a lot of good stuff in, and it was a uh, you know I thought it was I thought it was good. I mean, on these technical talks that are necessarily there's going to be code, those are tough. I think because you want to show some, and I think I think you and Roger both did a good job of this. You showed a lot of code, right? Which is which is useful because I want to see people want to see what the shape of code in you know in 
What does it look like when you do Angular or React and Salesforce? And how do you combine these worlds? Like, what's the how do you get the artifact from this world into this other world? Mm-hmm. And and you know, I don't necessarily have to see. You know, it's like it's not like you know line by line code, or you want to see live coding. You kind of just want to see what it looks like and what are the what are the high level steps. And I think both of you did a pretty good job with that. I mean, you showed a lot of code. Yeah. Um, I spent a lot of time in Illumity Cloud. And, and again, it, it was actually too much code to actually to go through line by line. And you're not, it's not like you're going to understand every line. It's just, it's just like, oh, I see what they're doing there. Yeah. You almost, like I said, you can almost tell by the shape of things. Like, right. Or just what are the different pieces? Well, you have to have this CSS class. You've got to have this, you know, uh, lightning controller and this other thing. And just, just seeing those and what's involved and being able to scan the code. Uh, to me, you know, for my type, is, is really helpful. Um, I wondered about a lot of because I'm, I'm sure a lot of people that were in there weren't really developers or they were more Salesforce developers. So mm-hmm. you know they may not they may not um, everyone's got a different you know skill set and background. And I, I you know I wonder just looking around like I wonder if everyone else is following along or if, you know it's just tough. It's like do I go do I should I go faster should I go slower you yeah. know should I should I show more technical stuff should I show less technical stuff? Well, I think showing the code is really important because I. Even for for people who are non developers, and and I think you were there when when someone came up to me after my last session about the Lightning Design System, and um, she'd came up because she she was interested in all this kind of stuff, not a developer, but wanted to get more into that world or at least get more exposure into that world, and she wanted to see the code, she wanted to see snippets, she wanted to see what this looked like, she didn't want to just see here's the end result and click around and it works. She wanted to know you know what was going on in the back end. Um, so I think that's kind of like one of those exposure things, you know, getting getting people to see it and getting them familiar with it and seeing what it looks like. And it kind of helps kind of in- pique their interest, I think. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and, but, but also, I think it's also knowing your audience. I mean, I wrote these presentations with the intent of presenting them to other developers. So for me, showing the code and showing all that stuff to me was like not not trying to insult their intelligence and saying, here's the code. You can look at it and you can read it. And here's what I did. And, you know, pick it apart if you want. Right. And you know that's and also I mean, if you say hey I'm doing I mean if you submit a talk that is of a certain topic and the and you say the audience is this type of person and you know if someone shows up to that <laughs> talk and they didn't look at who the audience is or it's it's not for them you know that's yeah, obviously you can't that's not the speaker's fault <laughs> that's yeah. that's you know, if you chose to go to something that you um, that's just not in your wheelhouse just be be prepared to sit there and you know not understand a lot but just absorb absorb what you can and take what notes you can. And if you're interested, you could go later and do your own research or whatever. Yeah. Um, we should, before we get past this topic though, of trail of, um, what was this thing called? Texas dreaming. We should thank our sponsor or sponsors for, um, the, our, our, our happy, our, our, our meetup. Yeah. I was, I was going to get to that. So, well, they were, this was going to be a part of the, of the episode that d- did not happen. The last week episode, right? But it, it wasn't there, so we we need we do need to thank our sponsors explicitly. Well, it, it ends up being just Shell Black. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so yeah, big thanks to Shell Black for helping sponsor our happy hour. Um, Shell Black actually was a big part of Texas Dream in in general. Um, I heard a story, and I'll tell this just just because I want to toot his horn a bit. Um, that Texas Dreaming really happened because of Shell Black. He was the first sponsor to sign on. And and put the cash forward so they can reserve a location, um, and and actually be able to book it. Um, the story I heard from one of the organizers was this didn't come from Shell; it came from an organizer who said that he was a big part of it because when they were looking for sponsors, everyone wanted to know when, where, and all the details. Well, they couldn't do that without 
booking a location and no one had put the money up to to help do that. And so Shell Black was a big part of, of that and with his with his sponsorship and being that early platinum sponsor. So yeah, a big part of that event happening and the way it happened and where it happened was Shell Black. So. Yeah, he was a platinum sponsor. Um, I think he probably helped plan a lot of it, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. But, and you know, I mean, we normally, uh, we don't really do ads or sponsorships, but Shell, Shell is a uh, longtime friend and friend of the show, so uh, I don't have any problem with uh, letting him buy us drinks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, he also gave us the hashtag Shell Yeah, which was pretty, pretty, yeah, pretty Shell awesome. Yeah, I like that. Uh, and and we 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 can't we we would be remiss if we didn't mention his uh, three minute bass solo that he did. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He had he had the what were those called? Jam like demo jams. Yeah, right? they were demo jams. So th- what that was was you know people in the conference who had products they can go out and do a really quick three minute demo for everyone. And um, Shell had a spot on that lineup. He's like Shell's like, well, I don't have a product. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna go up there. I'm on jam. Yep. <laughs> so he took the little literal, literal uh, translation of that uh, demo jam and went up there and got his bass and gave us some some pretty fun. Uh, yeah, the th- three minute bass solo. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I liked it. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So uh, what? Shellblack.com. He's a you know he runs a Salesforce consulting uh, company. Yeah. They're in forty. Well, I'm trying to remember the 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 pitch now. Forty states. You know, something like 20 consultants or something. I don't know. I'm making stuff up now. Uh, <laughs> well, actually, I'll make it easier on you. I'll put this in the show notes, but there's a link to a YouTube video. He did an interview while he was there with Thinkaholics. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure who they are, but um, I remember them walking around with a mic and everything and interviewing people. So they have a video up on YouTube where they interviewed Shell, and he, he gives you the entire spiel about, um, you know, number of employees, locations, the type of work that they do. So I'll put that in the show notes, and that'll make it, that'll make it easier for those interested to find out more about Shell Black. You know, I uh, <clears throat> one of the talks that he did, he and uh, I think um, Brent, is it Brent? Yeah, Brent, mm-hmm. um, was on per- Brand. Per- personal branding, right? And um, I thought we could use our our new off, our new, uh, you know, studio device here. <laughs> our new, our new to, uh, to, friend. To test how good Shell's branding is. So you think we should give it a shot? Sure. All right. So, oh crap. How can we do this, though, without setting off everyone's thing? Right, we'll just have to risk it. Oh, well, who cares? All right, we could bleep it, I guess. Alexa, who is Shell Black? Hmm, I don't know that. Oh, <laughs> gotta, I gotta work on that. <laughs> I'll have to write a skill. What's Ad- Brent's thing? Admin Hero? Admin Hero. Alexa. What is admin hero? Sorry, I don't know that. Hmm. Mm-mm. Let's give this, us a shot. This could be more about the state of actual artificial intelligence than it, <laughs> than it is about their branding. Well, let's okay. find let's find out about us. Well, I know you can do this. Uh, Alexa, play the Good Day Sir podcast. Getting the latest episode of Good Day Sir show Salesforce podcast. Here it is from TuneIn. <laughs> Alexa, stop. <laughs> well, there you go. Build a brand, uh, start a podcast so that Alexa knows exactly. About you. Yeah, <laughs> if, you, if you don't have a podcast, you're dead to her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, um, what else from? Let's see. I'm just going through notes here. Is that it from Texas Dreaming? Uh, I think so. But while we're on the subject of Shell, I'm gonna I'm gonna transition. I'm gonna segue. Okay. Because uh, because Shell Shell's always a fan of my Yoshiki news. So I'm going to do a little Yoshiki news update. 
Uh, actually, it's, it's I'm sure actually, this was what everyone was waiting for. It, was it like, is, you know, Yoshiki update. Yeah, we, we need to do it. It's actually not a funny thing. It's actually a serious thing. A couple of weeks ago, he actually collapsed from, he was he was doing a show and he actually collapsed from the show. It turns out he has like a a, a bad disc in his neck from that's been diagnosed. And it's been, at, you know, over the last six months, it's been causing him paralysis and things like that. And I guess that's what he collapsed from. So earlier this week, it was on the 16th, like what was that, Monday maybe? Sounds about right. Maybe Monday he had surgery. He actually had those discs replaced in his neck. So he had he had open surgery where they actually replaced two of his vertebrae with discs. So mm. he's recovering from that. But yeah, that's my that's my Yoshiki news. Okay. He, well, he's alive and ticking, and, and uh, he'll be he'll be back on the road soon. Let's hope for a speedy recovery. the it, The only thing I know about this Yoshiki person is that something he and Benny are friends. That's and you talked about it. You talk about it a lot. I don't know. You do you have his uh, album or? What? I don't. He's, so he's on he tour. To, he's going to really follow this guy. He's on tour with Japan X, and I well, because we'll follow his, his Instagram. He's such a he's such a pretty guy. <laughs> he's very photogenic. <laughs> um, right. I wanted to uh, just point something out. So I, I I was in Lightning, the Lightning experience the other day. <clears throat> I don't like to spend a lot of time there, but sometimes I have to. Well, there's actually a couple of things that have gotten a little, little bit better. I like the, I guess it's new, the new object, what are they called, object explorer or planner or what, what is it called? What, do you, what is this for? <clears throat> Lightning. So when you're setting up um, objects and custom objects, custom fields, things like that, there's that, what's it called, object explorer? It's pretty uh, nice. It's, it's, I, yeah, I'm struggling to remember. Anyway, it's the thing that you do to set up custom objects and fields. Yeah, like custom builder or data. Uh, data. Now you're just making bit, bit. I am. <laughs> It's the object explorer. If, if I keep that's, that's, guessing, I might, get, I might get it right if I keep guessing. All right. Um, but anyway, uh, as I was in Lex in in the setup area, I noticed they have renamed what what's, it used to be the develop section of setup. Yeah, it's like create now, isn't it? No. You just keep making stuff up. You're no. just like literally just like... It used to be create. It. Yeah. Well, no, that was, that was custom objects. I'm talking about the develop section. You know the develop section and setup. That's where you've always gone. Oh for yeah, the past that's 10 like years. custom code or something like that. It's now called custom code. Yeah, which is a huge fail. Why is it a huge fail? Because what what scares the crap out of all any business people who have ever had to, you know, fund and be in charge of a software development pro- or of a of a project, an IT project of any sort. It's custom code, and 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 just this whole. F- notion of custom code, it just implies crappy, uh, non-supported, <laughs> probably you know, not correctly skilled people doing it, spaghetti code, you know, it just it, and it's and I think that's exactly what they were going for. I don't I don't know that it implies that. I, when when a customer comes no, the, up and says, you know, when we, when we go back and say, hey, well you can't do that with native or you can, but these are the trade-offs, but we can solve for that with custom code. Then, and I, and now, I, I do not use that term. I will not use that term. And I, it, every it's, time, every, it's so you say it all vocabulary. the time. I know it is. I know it's a horrible term. You should strike that from your vocabulary. No, it, it, everyone knows it by that. Everyone knows custom code. No, they don't. Yes, they do. No, they don't. I mean, they know what it means, but they also just, it, it, it's, they, they could not have picked a word with a worse connotation than custom code. I don't know that it was, well, I, I think they picked it because. Because the community kind of gravitated to that word. For somehow it came, became part of our vocabulary. We all started saying custom code. And, and so it became a thing. Yeah. And it's, I mean, custom code in many circles is a, 
it's, it's a, what do you call it? It's like um, an, a, a stop, it's a stop word. It's like a, it's anything, and you know, and when, in, anytime you get to the point of custom code, that's when, that's, it's a deal breaker term. So what do you find custom more code offensive? Is a deal breaker. Custom code or scripting? Let me script that for you. I can just add a little quick script. Well, that script is a more specific thing. You know, I don't know. I've heard that used interchangeably as well. Yeah, where, I mean, where you're just you're just you're gonna kind of do something smaller, or even with like data migrations, you're gonna script the the translation model and all that kind of stuff. So it's also custom code is is a reductive term. I mean, there's a lot more than than code that go usually goes into building some solution for someone. Like it's it's gonna be a lot of things. I mean, there's gonna be database tables. There's gonna be there's gonna be code, but there's gonna be all this other infrastructure and, and things that go around it. Like just calling it custom code is it's just reductive, and it's it's inaccurate. Uh, so I want to respond with uh, uh, Willy Wonka. We are the music makers. We are the dreamers of the dreams. <laughs> and that was his response to. Uh, who was what she says? What are snozberries? Yeah, that's it. We are the makers of we are the makers. Anyway, we put meaning behind these words. Are you are you still considering building me a soundboard app? I am among every other thing I'm thinking about doing. Okay, so that means it's not going to happen. Okay, um, <clears throat> I, I've overheard two other podcasters. Um, I've heard that Marco Arment is building one, and I believe that was is going that is a Mac native one. Now, what I don't know is if he has any plans to make that available. He's basically building it for himself. Mm. <clears throat> I can't see him not putting it out there for sale. I don't know. And then he also, doesn't have a job, <clears throat> so um, this is how he makes his money: is building apps and selling them. Um, there is a boy. What? Um, hmm. I can't even think of the name of the podcast. There's a Linux podcast um, that, oh gosh, I can't even think of the name of it, but it's it's the guy that runs it, and he's got like his own little podcast studio or a network. He's got like several shows. I can't think of the guy's name. Anyway, um, he is supposedly building a soundboard app also. And considering these are both, you know, people who do podcasts, uh, mm-hmm. I'm thinking it's, you know, they're going to be designed for specifically for a podcast type setup, like the things you would need out of a soundboard for podcasts, which, I mean, I don't know how different those would be than things that you would use for like radio, but anyway. I don't know. Maybe maybe there's, there is hope for an actual supported soundboard app. <clears throat> maybe. Maybe if enough come out, you know. Because I, I, I researched it. I thought I might kind of try to do some kind of universal app and just, you know, pull the file and play the file. But I, and then I transitioned to trying to do something more native or at least in theory, in my head, of how it would be built and how it would work better. I think native is probably the better way to go than just kind of giving you some indexable search of files and, and you know, maybe some way to favorite them and everything and play them because there's so many things that you want to consider. You want to consider fade in, fade out opportunities, um, maybe some kind of like um, being able to cl- play clips in a series, you know, kind of like we often like line do. Line them up, yep. Line them up, <laughs> those kind of things. So. I'm, yeah, I'm glad you started mentioning this because when you were saying a minute ago, oh, just find a file and play it, I'm like, man, if that's what he thinks is involved in Soundboard app, there's like way more to it. Like <laughs> yeah. in a Soundboard app, I'd want there's way more to it. Those things you just mentioned, plus like um, configurable, like on a clip-by-clip basis, like if you hit the button to play it and then you hit the button again before it's done playing, like does it stop it? Does it pause it? Does it restart right. it? You know, there's just, there's like, yeah, there's so many... Um, you know, uh, probably a clip-specific 
mm-hmm. um, le- level. Like if some if one clip is like really low level, like the ability like maybe just boost just for that one clip, and it stays with that clip. Like that's a setting for that clip. There's just there's all kinds of stuff that yeah. you'd want. And then there's also just kind of managing the files. I mean, do you want to? I think a, a a good system, especially leveraging native, say Mac only, is being able to tag the files versus trying to shuffle the files into some known directory that you index, but rather tag the files. That way they exist wherever you want them to exist, yet it knows, it's aware of them and, and is able to categorize them properly. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think, I like the idea that, I think this is the way the soundboard, the one the one I used to use works. When you when you drag a sound clip into it, it makes a copy of it and keeps it internal to the app. <clears throat> and then you don't have to worry about, you know, if you accidentally, if you want to, you're just like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I need to reorganize my hard drives getting out of control here. Um, you don't have to worry about broken references and things like that. That that would be a problem with that with that model. Yeah, there's also one called Black Cat, or it's Black Cat Studios or something that makes a um, uh, they call it like a cart machine. So, you know, how this is, goes back, um, Soundbite app. That's what it's called by Black Cat. But yeah, they, they're so a cart. Okay, so radio stations they they're called carts. The different these different little uh, sound clips, basically, mm-hmm. and they, they have a cart machine that would literally like you. <laughs> You put it in and, and play it. <laughs> oh, that's weird. So, so a lot of these apps, you'll see them. They're using that terminology. You have to like instead of searching for like a soundboard or something, like you have to look, search for like cart machine or something like that. That's but, weird. That's odd. But Soundbite, I mean, it looks so. They've got Mac, Windows, and I think also iPad and iPhone. Um, but uh, they're really it looks it just uh, they it, it leaves something to be desired from a aesthetic perspective. Yeah, I've seen them. Um, it's kind of expensive. I mean, if it was, if I liked it a lot, I wouldn't mind paying what they're charging. I think it's for one that you can have like multiple, multiple boards um, is like I don't know. I want to say fifty or hundred bucks, but it, it it was lacking features. So and it's ugly. I don't know. I'm never happy. Anyway, all right. Uh, moving on. Uh, did, did you see this trailhead tracker thing? Salesforce introduces employee tracking for Trailhead. It sounded a little Orwellian, and I just wanted to see if you know anything about it because I do not. I don't know anything about it. I did hear about it. Um, I can only speculate that it, you know, for a lot of partners and or people who are investing and allowing people to to use company time to do Trailhead to kind of train up that having the ability to track would be beneficial. Track to track that. Track you can track your human resources. <clears throat> you can track your resources. <laughs> That's just my guess on 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 how that came about. I mean, it usually comes from from some kind of customer need or perspective. Not so much partner or that type of community when Salesforce does this kind of stuff. Usually it's it's around, you know, what benefit that has to to the company that's buying the licenses. Well, th- it sounds like to me this is just another step on on the road called <clears throat> Salesforce making it impossible for you to do any work in their ecosystem without paying them a bunch of money for lots of certifications. <clears throat> oh, Trailhead's free. I mean, the badges are free. That yeah, when you that, do Trailhead, that's free. It's that's, just the actual certification itself that. Which, trailhead is like the, it's it's the it's the drug dealer model, right? Trailhead just, <laughs> it gets you in. <laughs> it, yeah, it gets you in, and then you've got to start doing actual certifications. No, maybe. Anyway, all right. So we don't. So we'll move on since we don't. <laughs> we don't know anything <laughs> about that. I have bad news for you, John, about uh, oh, one no. of Salesforce's new partnerships. Oh no! And that is that Watson is a joke. Why is Watson a joke? Well, um, so this is funny. I've I've been re- so well, I've, Are you saying that the relationship with 
with Watson and Einstein as a joke? Or, no, no, no. Watson's pretty powerful, isn't it? Mm. Okay, so this is where I might disagree with you. I, I do a lot of um, reading on, I've got a whole thing that brings me news on um, AI and machine learning and things like that. And one thing that I've discovered over the past couple of months is that within the sphere of people that actually understand and do things like machine learning and artificial mm-hmm. intelligence is that they all think, they all basically think that Watson is, um, well, I, I guess more charitably, the thing I've heard them say is that basically Watson is built on kind of previous generation machine learning and AI. It is a pre, the whole, that whole system is previous generation. Now, what exactly does that mean? I don't know. I'm just telling you how they characterize it. But most recently, I saw this just this past week, an article that was quoting this, you know, um, some guy that basically said that Watson is a joke. Um, and here's what it says. IBM is not at the forefront of artificial intelligence, says social capital CEO and founder uh, Shamath well, Pala Hapatia. Yeah, whatever. Um, he said it's a joke, to be completely honest. Um, the companies uh, that are advancing machine learning and AI don't brand it with some nominally specious name, not like Einstein, uh, that's named after a Sherlock Holmes character. <laughs> <laughs> He didn't mention Einstein, but that's also a direct jab at Einstein. Uh, I think what IBM is excellent at is using their sales and marketing infrastructure to can. Wow, is he describing IBM or Salesforce here? Well, they're I both. Did not, tra- I, I did not. That didn't even dawn on me when I first read this. Um, yeah, IBM. I, I, he says I think what IBM is excellent at is using their sales and marketing infrastructure to convince people who have asymmetrically less knowledge to pay for something. <laughs> Oh, uh, did, did you catch that? Yes. So, but IBM is basically good at separating people who have more money than smarts from their money. Well, I, uh, I can't disagree with that. I mean, they're trying to take this technology and use it in a way that they can sell to people, right? It's not like with, this isn't, this saying, isn't yes. like, sure. it's not like IBM's a university where they're invested in just kind of advancing the knowledge of mankind. There, there's a dollar associated to every R&D that they do and some kind of ROI matrix that has to be applied uh, to it. But 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 more specific that that's real general. More specifically though, they're 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 passing off they're passing off Watson as if it's like a latest generation best of breed type of AI and it's not and the on, and the people who don't really understand it are the are the ones who are paying for it. Yeah, he also that said fair. he also said that he puts, you know, IBM, Watson and Oracle in somewhat of the same bucket. But I don't, he must not know about Salesforce because you know, this idea of... Well, because uh, Einstein's on new tech. The idea of branding things with nominally specious names that are named after characters. <laughs> I mean, who else does that besides IBM and Salesforce? I don't know. I feel like naming... Uh, it's such a, it's such Oracle, a weird the, thing Oracle to focus even do on, that. though. It's, it's like he, t- he took all these valid arguments and now he's just going to stick with poking... No, no. Na- making fun by no, the, by, about the name. I think it's, I think it's important. But the name... Yeah, because it, it listen when you when you have to name your when your stuff when, when you're when ma- most of your efforts are not on your technology itself but on the sales and marketing and spinning and branding thereof, then maybe that says something about your technology. Well, I think more so it, it's who the target audience for that for that marketing is. I mean, yeah. it's not like the the guys developing went well, and said, and again, "Let's call this Watson because that would be cool." And in Salesforce, it's it's VPs of sales, right? And well, it is marketing but, officers. But if you want to convey intelligence with this product, you you pick a name that that 
everyone knows or associates with intelligence. And you think Sherlock and Watson right. and, and Einstein. And and for look at Einstein. Is there has Salesforce, Tony Stark. Has Salesforce released any uh, data or studies on its effectiveness, accurate accuracy, things like that? I don't, or is it, I or is haven't it just, seen anything. Or is it just 100% marketing fluff? I think it's early days for Einstein, so it's still very much data no, collection that's fine, that's fine. mode. We're I, in data I, collection mode. Yeah, I will... Tra- so the, the translation of your answer is, <laughs> no, there's actually no actual information about Einstein. I am unaware of any. Yeah. There might be, but I am unaware. I, don't, I haven't signed the lead form to get the white paper yet. Yeah. Um... All right, I can. I've got a. I can keep going. We need to get to their. Um, they just released the Salesforce released their. What was it? Q one, I guess. Their weird Q one. So the quarter ending April thirty first, right? Or is right the end of April? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so are you ready to get into that? I mean, I, I know can. we want to kind of keep it short, but I, I had one topic that I wanted to kind of pick okay. your brain about, and it's kind of around learning development and mentoring and getting mentorship and what that means or, or how valuable that is. And we talked about even last week about the the apprenticeship that the Benioff is is touting. Yep. Which which I like. And yeah, my so my uh, my summary is get a mentor, do it. Yeah. Or go to work for a team that's really badass. So I, I came across two articles that kind of piqued my interest. One of them this was actually Cora, so it, the the question is why can't I learn JavaScript? Uh the 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 short of this is it's I'm the first programmer I'm learning but I'm so bad at it. I can't even code easy tasks. I feel so bad and I feel like everyone else gets it so easy and ahead of me. I get so stressed out and my self-esteem gets worse gets worse for every day. I just want to learn, but I am I too unintelligent? I feel like that's that I feel like a lot of people are in that position, especially in the Salesforce world, because they're exposed to code. Uh they're they're exposed to code in ways that that maybe you might not be in in other industries because the, the source code is there. You can see it, you can see what people did. Um, there's there's all these resources and things available, and so many people come up to me on a number of occasions, either on my blog or in person, about, hey, I'm not a coder, but I'd like to. I want to see what this is about. I want to try to learn. Um, but there's also, I don't think people understand what it takes to actually get to a being to a good level of a working professional software engineer. Yeah, I, you don't take a couple of trailheads and. You know, and start copying, pasting JavaScript from Stack Overflow. I mean, that's yeah. And I think that I think that's kind of where where I think a mentor comes in. So if, if I think I think that's where you start looking for someone who can kind of help show you some of these things, share their experience, and and get you to a point where you think, yeah, this is what I want to do. This is what I want want to do for a career. And then you can start, you know, going from there and, and gaining more knowledge and more experience. However, you end up doing that, whether hands on or going to a school or something. Um. But I did want to address the the fact of it, it does seem easy. There's a lot of marketing around code right now and STEM and all that kind of stuff that makes it sound like it's easy. Go do a code of hour. Go do a trailhead and be a developer. And the, and you do these things and you are able to <clears throat> you are able to accomplish something. You are able to do the hello world. You are able to to get a variable to assign and to flash on the screen. And and it, it is an accomplishment. But at the same time, uh, it it makes it seem like it's that easy. That's all you need, and now you can go off and build your app. A part of it is this idea that, you know, JavaScript is kind of a toy language. <clears throat> and that, I mean, it, it, everyone has a, it's, it's all it's all basically free technology, and everyone's got a, pretty much everyone has a computer that they could, within 10 minutes, have a setup. Right. So it makes it seem like it's this super accessible thing that you can 
anyone can get started on, and they kind of can get started. Yeah, but there's, but it yeah, is I mean, accessible, but it's it's. I think it's difficult to master. I think I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but I, I feel like it's extremely accessible. Yet mastering is is a different level. Yeah, and I guess it totally depends on you know what someone's goal is. I mean, is your goal to build, you know, uh, you know, hardened production systems, or is your goal just to kind of play around and build you know a website for your family or something? You know, I mean. What, what do you what do you want to do? Because there's obviously it's you know those are very, quite different things. Yeah, but and you know I I feel like every time my answer always comes back to finding a mentor, finding someone who you can pair up with, who can kind of help show you some things or you know invest some time and and show you things. Because you know you can go out and read a bunch of blogs, you can read a bunch of books, and that helps. Um, but you don't get that real world experience. You don't get to understand the ins and outs or why something's done or why why a certain design pattern or, or best practice exists, to use your favorite word. Um, you know, why does that exist? Why, why, why should we do it this way? Why shouldn't I edit my code in production? Why shouldn't I, you know, create a class, just put everything in one big class and be done with it? You know, those kind of things. Why do I have to get 75% code coverage? Right. Well, and... It's almost one of those things I feel like you have to, you know, it, w one thing that really helps answer those questions, why? Why do you do that? Is, is by doing it the wrong way. Yeah. <clears throat> and just, I guess, over time thinking, you know, or, or, or coming face-to-face -face with the consequences of having God classes or um, modifying things in production after you've already built your end artifact. I mean... Until you get bit by those things, maybe you don't have an appreciation for, you know, why engineers do what they do. Are you hearing something weird? I was like, is, yeah. Oh, it was that. It's that headphone cable. Oh. Anyway, we got to we got to replace that thing. I think yeah. it's just bad. Um, but you know, this person that's trying to learn JavaScript is this a their first programming language to learn? It is. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's. I think learning, I don't know. There's that learning your first programming language is probably the hardest one to learn. So Yeah. But I think I think the other side of it, the, the point that I want to cover as well is that it it's 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 just like high school. You know, when you're in high school, for some reason everyone around you was like having sex and everyone was doing it and you were the only one that well, wasn't high school doing did you it. Go to, John? <laughs> I'm just saying it, it you know I went to four different high schools, so oh. I think I, I think I, I have enough experience to talk. Yeah. Everyone around me seemed like they were doing it, and I was like, "I'm not doing it. I'm not the only. One. Why am I the only?" I, th I think it's almost kind of like that with the language as well. You know, at least in, in terms of this, because because so, it all comes back to why can't I get laid? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a bad analogy, but it, it just what popped in my head. I'm definitely not. I'm definitely not qualified to <laughs> to, to have a therapy session with you on that. <laughs> Well, it's just when he says that it seems like everyone else is ahead, everyone else is, it looks easy to everyone else. Like they just kind of just do it. And and it's not like that. It took years. Even for me, I'm, I'm a self-taught programmer. I mean, I, I read books. I, I practiced and sat, sat around just at night instead of going out and partying. And But look, okay, look. So you've been probably developing software for 20 years, right? Something like that. It's, I'm getting old. How, how long do you, looking back, how long do you think you, it took you to get to a level that you would you would consider yourself decent. I still don't think I'm decent. <laughs> well, that's my that was okay. You you overmade my point, which is I mean I think it actually took I mean it took me definitely you know easily I think ten probably ten years before I thought you know what uh, I mean I, I looked back at all the things you don't know that you don't know that it just takes 
time yeah. to an experience of again of doing things wrong or whatever, and and that could have been shortcut. I, I could have um, had a more uh, direct route had I at that point in my career or my life really had I had um, a good mentor or had I worked on a really good team where I'm like the junior guy, right? Yeah. Um, and I for a long time I didn't have that. So I didn't take the most direct route, but still, I mean, I just think it takes, even if you've got, you know, you're working on a great team or you've got mentors, it just, it takes years to get, it's, um, what's the, oh, the kind of the, the douchebaggy uh, uh, author that writes silly uh, phrases and that get, that catch on, um, Malcolm Gladwell. Oh. Um, what does he say that it takes 10,000 hours to get, to, to become a, I can't remember exactly. I don't know if it's like professional or become kind of like a master of something. Mm -hmm. Typically, no matter what the field is, musician to whatever, business person, 10,000 hours to really get you know great at something. I believe it. I, I think there were times in my career where I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm in a good spot. I, I feel like I'm a professional. I'm, I'm earning this. And, and then I'll come across something and I'm like, wow, I don't know anything. And I feel like that's kind of the way it's been over the years. I feel like I get to a point where like, yeah, I'm, I'm good at this. Well, that's and because, then I discover something new and I'm like, oh man, I don't know anything. That's because it's a big field and it's constantly changing. I mean, look at look at medicine, um, a field that, I mean, obviously changes. I, I, would, I would argue doesn't change the way that being a front-end software engineer changes. Um, <clears throat> but I mean, you know, let's say you're, um, oh, I don't know, a uh, some, some kind of, you know, heart surgeon, right? You could have lunch with your buddy one day who's a brain surgeon and you just you realize like, oh my God, there's just so much about the human body I don't know, right? I could never do brain surgery. Mm -hmm. Of course you could because you're a heart surgeon. That doesn't mean that the skills that you have though that you're not really good at. You know, it's just you can't know everything. You can't be an expert in all of the subfields of this field. Right. Um, so it's, you know, don't don't fall into, you know, imposter syndrome or I'm just, or just, you know, this idea that you're just not good. I mean, it's just that, I think it's pretty important too is to, is to to not base your success on knowing everything about that language or everything about uh you know that style of of programming because it I think that's not a realistic goal. But this whole part of you know you tr the, what you tried to refer to earlier the hour of code. I mean um and this <clears throat> we've had these campaigns from the president of the United States on down that's just like oh everyone should code. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, well, no, not really. Especially considering that if you if you listen to Peter Coffee, you know, we're we're going to have no coding jobs. So I mean, we're all going to be out of a job. So why would, you know, why would we send people into coding? I mean, yeah. First of all, on a pr practical level, it makes no sense. <clears throat> but also, it's just it's an activity or a field of amongst many, you know, hundreds thousands of things that people can go into. You know, not everyone needs to learn how to. Uh, construct shoes or I mean just any number of things like I don't know if you're interested in it if you think you're good at it or whatever feel free but yeah this this whole and I, I remember um, uh, Mr. Coding Horror whatever his name is <clears throat> he'd written up a good thing that's like no not everyone should code and here's why and so he made some good arguments yeah I, I agree but, with that but I, I do want I do want to say that I do think exposing as many people as possible to code is a good thing because you'll find maybe out of a a thousand, you'll find that one or two kid who goes, wow, this is really cool. I want to do this. Okay. I mean, I'm you can really say that about anything. I feel like you should expose everyone to, you know, shoemaking because every, you know, one out of a thousand is going to be, just have an expert, you know, uh, you know, skill for it or, or whatever. Yeah. Just a, a natural talent. Because I think for me, I have, I have to 
really thank the fact that people hand me down to computers down to my dad who somehow ended up in my hands and those computers couldn't do anything. There was no programs or games on it. It came with a book and I had to, and so the only thing you could do is, is stuff you had to make, you had to tell it to do. Mm. Um, and so that was an exposure point for me that, that said, oh, this is kind of cool. But it wasn't something that I thought was going to be a career. It wasn't until later when I had to build some tools for myself because I sucked at sales that I started trying to make it a career. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's see. I've got a bunch of stuff. Did you follow the any of the App Exchange ISV program update or whatever that was? Did we talk about that? No, but I, I do have App Exchange gear. That's App Exchange that you're yeah. This is Appy. Okay. This oh, is the okay. new mascot. So yeah, I got a little gift from Salesforce. I got a, I got a little. What is this? Is this a bandana? Is that what it's called? Appy. Is that another specious uh, name after a character? <laughs> that is a mascot. That is Appy, <laughs> and I have stickers. <clears throat> um. So if you're in the states and you want a shirt and stickers, let me know. So the high points are that they they dropped the their take back down. You know, do you remember like a couple of years ago when they they raised their their take from fifteen percent to twenty five percent? I I remember us talking about that. Yeah. I think that's what I think. That, and now it's back to fifteen percent. Really? And then there's um, supposedly some better tooling, some kind of onboarding thing. I don't know if it just makes it easier for ISVs to actually build and get apps on the App Exchange, mm. maybe. I still don't know what what's the status of the of fees for for just going through the. Yeah, I haven't had to do one in a while, so I'm not sure what the fee is. I, don't, I haven't either. Yeah, I think last time I did it was five grand. I yeah, think it had gotten expensive. Yeah, which is weird. But that that was that was years ago. It's probably time is flying by. I think that was a good three four years ago when I got that number. Yeah, I feel I feel like it dropped after that to some you know like order of magnitude lower at least. Mm -hmm. Could be wrong. I don't know if there's any ISVs that uh, know anything about this or have any, can give us some insight. Sounds like overall, good improvement. Um, did you see our discussion about, you know, you can't have truly private cases, opportunities, or contacts? No. Was that in the Slack? <laughs> yeah, I'm so behind on Slack. This is one of the subtleties of, so. the, of the Salesforce uh, sharing and security model that, I don't know, I probably should have known, but basically it's that Let's uh, the, here. Here was the use case. Um, you have an account owner, and your sharing model for cases is private. Mm -hmm. All right. So, I'll, really, what that means is, and let's say you set cases. Yeah, so cases are private. So it's not controlled by parent. It's private. So only the owner, or the owner, or someone in the owner's reporting hierarchy, right? Mm -hmm. the role model would be or people who it was shared to would be able to see this case um and one reason for this is they wanted to this the particular use case they wanted to be able to create cases about the account owner without the account owner seeing these cases odd but it turns out that even though your case cases are a sharing model set to private that the account owner will always have at least view access to that case so you basically, you can't have, you, you can't do that. Mm. Should I play my sound clip? <laughs> do we have a button somewhere for that? I, don't know. I, think I, I think I played this in the Slack when I was talking about it, but you know. You can't do this with Salesforce. Yeah, so you, you can't have cases um, th that, are not, that are not visible to the account owner. Mm. Always going to have, in fact, there's a, there's a setting somewhere. I don't know where it is, actually. I don't know if it's in the profile that you specify, 
like for, for it's for cases, context, and opportunities for each one. Do you are you going to give the account owner view access or edit access? Like you have to pick one of those two. They're going to have access. They're going to have at least view access. Yeah, simply because they own the account, even if cases are private and they and they don't own the case. I can see how they can make things difficult, especially where um, accounts are global, but the records underneath are considered private, meaning everyone shares the account in a, in a large organization, but there's a lot of things attached to it that aren't. Uh, I've had to write a lot of custom sharing rule logic around custom objects where data would move from, you know, from a standard object into a custom object, mainly for those reasons mm. to get pri- to get more privacy out of yep. those. That's just one of those areas where I guess Salesforce is just yeah, either they are opinionated that they just they they feel that account owners should always have view access to everything that is associated with that account, even if they don't own the account, and even if like the, or sorry, even if they don't own those other records, and even if the sharing model on those records is private. Salesforce's opinion is is they think the account owner should still be able to have at least view access to all those records that they don't own. <clears throat> I don't know if that's opinionated or if it's just a a symptom of the way the system evolves, the <laughs> yeah, sharing yeah, system. It, it may be a little bit, it may have been more passive than opinion. Yeah. It may have just been like, well, yeah. this is performance-wise how we can get this to work without it bringing down the system. So we're going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, okay, so that was just a little thing. Financial results, let's do those. Let's just get them out of the way. So uh, good good quarter. And I think this was, uh, you know, the Salesforce had been for the past few weeks, you know, spreading the rumors that it was going to be a good quarter. And Yeah, I'm in the dark on this, so this is all going to be oh, really? fresh yeah. news for me. So, you know, and, and it was it was pretty much built into, the, I mean, had been built in the, their stock price has been actually, man, for the past, I don't know, I would say maybe since the beginning of the year. It's that whole, it's that whole Trump effect. <laughs> Is it still hanging around 80 right now? No, I it's think? almost at 90. It's, oh, been, wow. it's been playing with 90 for the past couple of weeks. Wow. Um, but no, so they, and so I think, I think these were, these good results were, they, they'd already been built into the stock price. So once they announced these, and in fact, they were actually down in, in after hours trading when I checked for a while, but then they can kind of came back in a positive territory. So it was, it was already built in, but no, they, they beat pretty solidly on, on uh, top and bottom line. Um, they also upped their 2018, you know, overall fiscal year guidance, which is, which is good. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, you know, they're, they're big. One of, the, one of the great things I think you can say about Salesforce's performance is, is really, number one, just that, just that top-line growth, right? The, the, the revenue, the fact that they're still growing at like 25% year over year. And, and the other thing is their cash flow. Um, it's just, you know, their cash flow is very strong. And it's, it's you know, it's just the, it's that business model there. And it's that, it's that model of you get paid up front for a service you're going to provide someone over the next year. Mm-hmm. Well, three years. <laughs> no. Usually, well, usually you you well, only the contract pay, is three contract years, but you three. pay for the year. Usually, yeah. you pay for like a year, right? Or or sometimes you know they'll do quarterly billing, but still they're getting they're getting paid a lot up front for stuff they haven't delivered yet. So that's mm-hmm. great for cash flow, right? So their their cash flow numbers are always really good. Um, but the stock is still just very expensive. I, I read you know several different analyses of this, and that's kind of the thing. It's just man, it's just it, the stock price is really high. So you know at current valuation, they just they still have so much more growing to do to actually. To justify to grow into that valuation, um, you know the trailing uh, trailing PE ratio in terms of at least in terms of gap is just it's so off the charts. I think I tried to calculate. I think it's like three hundred. <laughs> totally ridiculous. And even even there. So what does this number mean? Um, tra- trailing PE ratio. So PE ratio is is price to earnings. So okay. what do you pay for the stock for for one share of stock? Like what do you pay for it? The price you pay for it—that's their current stock right. price—as um, as a ratio of 
how many what their earnings per share is. Got it. And trailing just means looking, not looking for, but looking at you know the, 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 tr- the announced the trend. numbers. Yeah. Um, and that's gap. And even even their non-gap ratio was like eighty, I think eighty something. So and and you know Salesforce, I, I think in general, I think you got to cut them some slack, and it, definitely the market does. You when you look at these SaaS companies with this type of um, revenue recognition model, it really you can't you can't um, you have the way the metrics you look at to analyze whether the company is healthy, whether they're growing, whether they're making money, whether they're cash flow positive, and all this stuff. It's different than historical or I don't say historical, just more traditional business models. Um, one thing that jumped out at me though, when looking at, because I always like to look at the, was it four clouds? I mean, there's four overall clouds. There's sales cloud, service cloud, marketing, marketing, and then the, do they call it app cloud? I no, think it's app the, the cloud. platform, whatever that is. And I, I guess AI didn't make it its own cloud. It's just getting integrated and everything. Oh, there's a lot of clouds that aren't their own clouds. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um, Thundercloud. You're never going to see that. <laughs> Just <laughs> oh, you're never going to see it broken out. It's probably I bet Thundercloud is is lumped into AppCloud. Uh, yeah, I, I think it guess. is. Yeah, probably. But um, they all they all are still trending up very solidly, except uh, Marketing Cloud. Just suddenly this this past quarter, not only did it so you know they're all going like this, right? Mm-hmm. I'm pointing upwards. Pointing upwards for, for those of <laughs> not in the studio right now. Uh, Marketing Cloud not only did it flatten, but it's actually it actually lost ground in this past quarter. Negative growth. Wow. So now let me ask you this, because they actually call it in the, if you look in the financial report, they call it the exact target marketing cloud. Does that not also include Pardot and some of these other marketing things? Did they, are they not part of that cloud? I would think so. I don't see why they wouldn't be. I don't either. I've always understood them to be part of that cloud, but yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, just, you know, still, still, you know, gap losses. Um, if you, if you take into account, you know, their, their stock-based expenses. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, just massive. If you accumulate all of their gap losses over the years, it's just, I think it's been since like 2011 that they've had, you know, net, you know, basically net losses for the, I think it's the past 20, 24 quarters, something like that. <laughs> a cumulative, cumulative let not, uh, let net loss, uh, $641 million is what, I, is what someone calculated. Um, let's see. So, okay, yeah, here's another interesting thing. Since quarter ending uh, April 30th, 2012, cumulative gap, gap net losses have been $633 million, while cumulative non-gap net income has been $2.2 billion. So it's like, it's again, it's a tale of two companies. Like, which is it? Has Salesforce cumulatively made $2 billion in profit? Or have they lost $630 million? Which is it? Well, depends on who you ask. <laughs> It's just crazy that there's these two stories. What about their goodwill? Are they are they uh, chipped that uh, chipped away? At um, that? I'd have to go look at the. I don't have the balance sheet in front of me, but and I didn't look. No, the, no. So goodwill, you don't chip away at. I mean, goodwill is an asset, and it usually just builds. So, like every, you know, like let's say you pay two billion dollars for a company that their books show them being worth one billion. So you're basically overpaying, right? That's mm-hmm. that's goodwill. That difference is goodwill. But it's supposedly valuable. I mean, you're buying it because it's that company's worth two billion to you, and that over that amount you overpaid has got to go somewhere on the balance sheet, and that's where it goes. As it goes to goodwill. Now, a lot of times, over time, companies will write that down. But Salesforce, I mean, hasn't. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not an investing expert, but to me, it seems like they've got an unhealthy, like the ratio of goodwill to the rest of their assets mm-hmm. is really high. I mean, it's. 
I don't remember what the number is, but it's in the billions. You know, it's 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 many billions. So I don't think they've written any of it down yet, though. And that that's that's going to be because what happens is when they do write it down, now that's an ex, that is a essentially an expense, and that hits mm-hmm. your earnings. Right. That's got to be accounted for, and that's that's accounted for is in earnings. And they don't want to do that, so they're going to let it hang. They're going to let that goodwill hang on there until it is stinking up the whole room. <laughs> And that's what it's probably starting to do. It's probably starting to get a little ripe. <laughs> um, I also found this interesting. Now, I, I'm going to read this going forward in time. So the, here's their stock-based expenses per share over the past five quarters. $0.28, cents, $0.26, cents, $0.29, cents, $0.34, cents, and this most recent quarter, $0.35 cents per share. So that's share-adjusted. Mm. Even with all the new shares they're printing, the expense stock expense per share is going is going up. I mean, basically, and, and so what's happening is, if you look at the gap earnings to non gap earnings, they're they're diverging, and you really want to see those coming together, mm-hmm. right? But they're not. Also, just in general, year over year earnings per share is is slowing, and it looks to me like a, a major cause of that is stock based expenses. So. So overall, how are we, how are we doing in the Salesforce world? We're, I mean, we're it's still good. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's I think it's going well. I mean, it's again, it's a, I mean, f- there's there's two stories to this stock. Is is the interesting thing? The company, I mean, overall, the performance this quarter and for the long time now is very impressive. Uh, Wall Street still likes this company. Mm-hmm. Kramer, you know, still loves this company. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, their the, and their growth is undeniable. The cash they are generating. Is undeniable. You know, it's it's a good place to be. Well, are they so they're on track for their ten billion, right? But, but they but there is there are things to be concerned about, right? The stock based compensation is a thing to be concerned about. I mean, just their their current valuation. Whether you're looking at, you know, whether it's the eighty PE ratio, if you want to do uh, non gap, or whether it's the three hundred PE ratio, if you're looking at actual gap, which is what I call the real world where you actually have to account for your expenses and the dilution that you're causing your existing shareholders, right? That's 300. And so they've got to grow into that. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, their stock price is, is assuming that they're going to fix all this and they're going to grow into it. And the reason that the stock market can overvalue Salesforce so much is because of this zero interest rate policy we've had for a very long time now. But as soon as there's a, you know, as soon as we have to start raising interest rates, because what happens when you raise interest rates is then people start, okay, when interest rates are very low, that means like, would, would you open up a savings account right now and put money into it in order to grow your investments? No. Not to right? grow. Why no. not? And why not? Because the interest Because rates... they're basically zero. Yeah. They're basically zero. So what do you do? Well, that, you have all this money that you would have put into maybe something like a, a savings account or a certificate of deposit or maybe even you know things like bonds, but this this interest rate problem forces everyone into stocks because that's the only place you can make money. That's the only place you can prevent your your um, money from getting eat, eating, eaten up by inflation. You've got to go to the stock market. Well, when when that's so that creates an unnatural demand for equities. Well, who benefits from that? Salesforce. I mean, really, all these companies do, but there's certain companies that are just because of the way they're playing the stock market. Um, or get to take advantage of that. Well, what happens when interest rates go back up? And people are like, oh, well, I'm going to start pulling my money out of the stock market. Or these massive funds that that 
own Salesforce, start pulling somebody out of the stock market to do other things with because these other things are now more attractive. Mm-hmm. So that's going to, that could really put Salesforce in a difficult position in terms of their stock price. And that's when they just, you know, it, it, it hurts their, what it, it takes away their options in terms of how they finance things. It makes them a takeover target. You know, right now, I mean, no one can afford Salesforce. That's what they haven't gotten bought, even though, you know, Microsoft wanted to buy them and probably Oracle wanted to buy them. It's just it's, when it comes down to it, it's like, man, market, the Wall Street's going to say you're worth $60 billion? Fine, let them, let, them, let them pay $60 billion for you because we're not paying, we, we can't pay $60 billion for you. I mean, you know, that would, I think we looked at the numbers when Microsoft was looking at Salesforce and what that would immediately do, if, as soon as, the day that Microsoft bought Salesforce, their balance sheet, sales, Microsoft's, uh, you know, financial statements would go from looking pretty damn good to looking not very good. Mm. Immediately hits their profitability. Immediately hits you know all these you know you're basically going to be averaging all Salesforce's financial ratios with all of Microsoft's financial ratios, and just it waters you down too much. But if you only have to pay you know thirty billion for Salesforce instead of sixty billion, it obviously drastically changes that equation. Anyway, but no, I, I mean just, it's yeah. they can they can fix these things and and I'm sure they've got a in plan. I mean, and Benioff has talked publicly, Mark Hawkins has talked publicly about their plan to um to increase the the earnings story or to improve the earnings story mm-hmm. and to really start driving this company towards profitability, gap profitability. They're not they're not far. I mean, I think they're if I remember correctly, in their fiscal year 2018 projections that they just announced yesterday, um, they think they are going to at least break even. Um Gap-wise, if not hit about one cent per earnings gap. So going in the right direction is very slow. And it's just like, you know, again, it's like one of those things five years ago that, you know, if, if people had, if someone had told you that Salesforce will be a $10 billion company that still is not profitable, you wouldn't, you would have laughed them out of the room. It's like, there's no way. There's no way. They can yeah, because I remember, I remember we, we, we were talking about the whole Benioff fast as a 10 billion and what that 10 billion number probably meant, you know, for Salesforce reaching that goal. Um, which, which in my mind at the time was that's the point where they'll be able to break even. That that's the, right. that's, that's the peak of the hill and they'll, they'll start heading into profitability mode. But, and the question is, you know, obviously their strategy has been to, and I call it, you know, it's, you know, eat, eating their own tail or whatever. This using what would be, you know, earnings to fund their growth, to continue to um, put on their parties and buy companies and, um, you know, pay pay employees, um, but erect buildings at a rate at which prevents you from being profitable. Yeah. Um, the question is, is, you know, is this, is this enough? Is this is this truly a land grab where it makes sense to forego profits? And, and how, for how long? It's been 19 years. I mean, how much longer... Do you do it? How much more? How much longer does that story sell? I guess we'll see. I mean, Amazon's right. still playing that game, right? Um, it, basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's a land grab. It's a different business model. It's SaaS. It's deferred revenue. It's um, it's all these things, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Um, man, I have more story. Where, where are we at? How how are you doing on time? Um, we probably need to wrap it up. I gotta. Piano lesson to get to. Okay, so I've got things I can, I can save. Let me just mention real quickly since it's about uh, Texas Dream. I just want to tell the story. <clears throat> so it was late Saturday night. Uh, Sarah and I met back up with um, Roger and his wife and Brett. 
and we met we met some bar. It's like on Fourth Street. We hung out there for a little bit, but then we left. And we were just walk. We went up. It's like ah, let's go walk on Sixth Street because Sixth Street is such a crap show, right? Especially at that time, it was I think it was after midnight or around midnight, maybe. So mm-hmm. fairly late, um, you know. So a lot of people are already just rip roaring drunk and just oh, you see so much crazy stuff on Sixth Street. Oh yeah. <clears throat> but as we're walking along, we're trying to figure out like, where, where do we want to go next. I, I pulled up Yelp and I just do I just you know typed or type tapped on uh, bars near you know very near me, and like one comes up, I'm I'm looking at it, and Sarah like at the same time is talking about how the last time she was in Austin, they tried to go to this speakeasy. It's like a hidden, unmarked speakeasy, but they couldn't get in because they either didn't know the right passcode or something like that. And um, she told me the name of it. I was like, oh, and, well, no, you know, she did. She said, look, it looked just like that. And she points to this, like, just, it It looks like a, it's in between two other bars. Mm-hmm. And it's just this thin, it's like a shotgun. It's very, it's a very skinny place. And there's just like a door. And there's, there's the, the, like the 10 different buzzers. And it's got a per, different person's name on each one. It's like, it's like, it's a, a residential thing. Yeah. And, but I saw the address was 313. And I was like, I'm looking at my Yelp thing. I'm like, wait a minute. Same address as this place you're telling me about. I'm like, that's it. <laughs> and and luckily, in this Yelp review, the guy gives the guy dropped a hint in this Yelp review um, about how to get in. And I figured, and, and so I, went, I go up to the door, and basically you have to know you have to buzz the right person, the right you have to buzz the right name. Mm-hmm. But it also said that you know you they, they, this place books up a month out. You have to make reservations like a month out and whatever. But I buzzed it, and uh, they opened the door. Because normally, if you buzz the wrong thing, or if you just if you're just guessing, they don't they don't even open the door. But they open the door. She's like, hey, "Do you have a reservation?" We were like, "No." <laughs> we kind of just walked up here, and she said, "Hang on." So she goes and does something, and then comes back. She says, "You guys are in luck." So we so they let us in, and we go back to this private room. That and uh, the lady says, "Yeah, we had a um, a no a group that no showed us." So you walked in, you walked up at just the right time. Wow. So anyway, it's just cocktails, but it's like these you know super artisanal. <laughs> you know, half of them they made right, and they rolled this card out to our to our private room here and made them right in front of us. Um, just high end cocktails. It was cool. Um, it was it was fun. It, it made us feel special. <laughs> I've heard this story twice now, and it feels like you're just rubbing it in because I was in my hotel room. Yeah, <laughs> hopped up on Nyquil. <laughs> yeah, the place is called Midnight Cowboy. Midnight Cowboy. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Well, maybe next I, time. Maybe next time I can I can oh, join. You know what? We were meant, we were going to tell you she this this. Uh, you know, mixologist that was making, or one of them that was making our drinks was telling us about the the guy that I think started this place and he's now works in a different place. And she's like, yeah, they've got the best ice program in the city. And oh. and I knew what, I kind of knew what he meant, but someone asked, so I was like, well, what, is, what does that mean? And she said, oh yeah, they've got, they make all their ice and they've got all these different types of ice. And oh, wow. so we should figure out what that is and just yeah. should put that on your list to go, to go visit next time you're in Austin. Yeah, you know how, how particular I am about my ice. Yeah, <laughs> I do. You like your ice. I do like my ice. All right. Well, I'll hold all this other stuff for uh, next week, I guess. That sounds good. Um, we also have some questions that are kind of still on the docket. Uh, reviews still on the docket. Um, we're kind of a week behind on everything, so we'll get to that all that next week. Um, and to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. I must show you this. Lickable wallpaper for nursery walls. Lick an orange. It tastes like an orange. Like a pineapple. It tastes like a pineapple. Go ahead. Try it. Mmm, I got a plum. Grandpa, this banana is fantastic. It tastes so real. Try some more. The strawberries taste like strawberries. The snozberries taste like snozberries. Snozberries? Who ever heard of a snozberry? We are the music makers. 
And we are the dreamers of dreams. Come along, come on. 